Hello and welcome to the Speaking of Music podcast. This is Jake Manzi. We have got a good one for you today, folks. My guest today is Kimaya Diggs. Kimaya Diggs is a great singer-songwriter from Western Massachusetts, and she's got a new record out called Quincy that came out in 2023, and she came on to tell us all about it. Quincy was nominated for Album of the Year at the New England Music Awards. Kimaya has shared the stage with lots of great artists, including two shows that she's got coming up with Trombone Shorty in February up in Burlington, Vermont at Higher Ground. Those shows are on February 18th and 19th for anyone in the Burlington, Vermont area that wants to check out Kimaya and her band at Higher Ground. Kimaya is a great vocalist and has a crazy control of her voice and her songs are great. Yeah, it was just a pleasure to talk with her and pick her brain a little bit. And as the Boston Globe said about Kimaya, she's kind of an unstoppable force. I agree. Before we get to my talk with Kimaya, here are a few messages from our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Raspberries Records. Yes, that's right, Raspberries Records. It is a record store in Ludlow, Massachusetts, located at 207 Windsor Street. They've got great records, new, used. They've got tapes, they got CDs. They've got knowledgeable people working there that can help you with any questions you might have. And of course, they have stereo equipment. So go on down to Raspberries Records in Ludlow, Mass. The episode today is also brought to you by Gigantic. Gigantic is a bar. It is a really great bar that's located in East Hampton, Mass. at 78 Cottage Street. They make all their syrups fresh. They squeeze the juices the day of, and they make a premium cocktail, I would say. For my money, you can't beat a cocktail at Gigantic. So go on down to Gigantic and say hello to Ned behind the bar. And if you like what we're doing on the podcast here, you can support it at our Patreon page. That page is patreon.com slash speaking of music. We appreciate anything that comes in there. I love talking to musicians and talking music with people. So anything that comes in on the Patreon page just goes to keeping this podcast afloat. We appreciate everything that comes in through that page. So thank you. Okay, before I bring you the conversation with Kimaya, just one more thing. Kimaya and I are playing a show together in Los Angeles on January 30th. Kimaya is going to be opening the show and singing during my set, along with Jacob Razaza. So if you're around Los Angeles, January 30th, that show is at the Hotel Cafe. So come see Kimaya and I play a show together. All right, here is Kimaya Diggs. Thanks for coming here to the uh, to this podcast studio. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I'm excited. Um, so you've got a new record. It's called Quincy. Mm-hmm. It's your second LP. It came out in March. Mm-hmm. It's very good. It's very Thank good. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, so yeah, just listening to it again this morning. Um, yeah, I was just kind of trying to come up with some some things to talk to you about here. And um, yeah, it was your first time kind of getting into the producer role. Right? Yeah, yeah. Or I more, really didn't know. I didn't know what it like really took to bring a song from an idea to a, a song, like a, a recorded song. And so this time, this time around, I was able to be a little bit more of an active producer, which was super fun. Yeah. And um, yeah, compared to the last record which was a bit more acoustic, mm-hmm. right? This yeah. one seems decidedly more groove-oriented, sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, was that something that you were looking to do intentionally, or was that something, because also as the band, you playing as the band, it seems like you've been presenting it that way, too. Yeah, I would say my first album happened, it was called Breastfed, and that was recorded 
during a time when I was playing, playing probably a hundred nights a year solo, just me and my guitar. And so with the first album, I was imagining we would just record the vocals and then the guitars. And then, um, Jacob Razaza, who produced that one with me, um, added so many wonderful things that made me start thinking about what it would be like to play with a full band. So after that came out, uh, after my first album came out, I started playing with a full band more frequently and then started noticing these more folky singer-songwriter type of songs. They didn't very naturally convert into a full band sound. So then I started writing with the full band in mind, and that's the songs that are on my new album, Quincy. They were all written with the band in mind and sometimes with the individuals in the band in mind even. Um, And so it was a lot more natural getting the full band sound on the new album because the songs had already, had always been intended to be that way. Yeah, so even from the songwriting process, you were writing with the band in mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and so when you recorded it, you recorded the basics at Ghost Hit Records, right? Yes, in West Springfield. Yeah. yeah. Um, how how did that go down? Was that basic? It was awesome. Did you do bass and drums, right? We did with- bass, drums, and then attempted to do some guitar tracks as well. But I really gave up on that idea pretty yeah, quickly because yeah. what's tricky for me as a producer and as the you know as the artist is is doing playing or singing and also keeping an ear on the bigger picture. And so I very quickly was like, okay, we're just going to try to get the drums and maybe some bass tracks. Um, We were very, very lucky because we recorded those basics um, February 18 and 19 of 2020. And so then we were able, once everything shut down, we were able to keep working on the record in Jacob's band's studio because that was a private studio space. But if we hadn't had those basics, we would have just been like waiting till now to start the record, which would have been crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, taking it, taking it back a bit. um, It seems like you kind of came from a musical household mm-hmm. somewhat I know your your dad plays the flute on this record yeah right? um and did does he play anything else did your mom play anything else or my mom kind of grew up playing piano a little bit um but doing a lot of singing my mom's parents were really involved in the um uh the Balkan folk dance revival of the 70s, you know, the classic one. (laughs) So my mom grew up doing tons of folk dancing, which does have a lot of, like the music is a hugely important part of that scene. Um, And so my mom grew up singing, um, but my parents, their like primary connection to music has always been through dancing. Um, My parents met dancing in (laughs) college. They loved dancing like throughout, you know, all of their relationship. Um, And my mom did so many different types of dance. And so for me, I always grew up thinking about music as really functional. Like we weren't really a like sit down and let's listen to this Beatles record type of family. It was more about like, how does this music make you move? Regardless of the genre, honestly. But it was very much um, about, you know, connecting music to your body. Which I guess, yeah, talking about your new record, seems like you were kind of moving toward like this record compared to the last one definitely makes you move a bit more. Yeah. Right? And uh, I was honestly but, nervous about that because yeah. um, there are just so many great bands in this area that I really look up to who put on these like shows that are like dancing shows, like for sure. Like, Lux yeah, Deluxe. like Lux yeah. Deluxe, yeah. like many of the members of whom appear on Quincy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they put on such a great dancing show. It's, like, undeniable. Like, that's what this show's about. Right. And I have always felt, like, coming from a more, like, singer-songwriter solo background that I'm asking a lot of people to be, like, dance to these songs. And I wasn't sure that I would be able to kind of um, pull that off as a performer. And I feel a lot more confident doing that now, like having shows that are dancing shows because again, the songs were written with that yeah, in mind, like right. from, from day one, that's what they were meant to do. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, you, you had music going on, going mm-hmm. on in the house and did you tour, you toured quite a bit, like from a young age, right? Was that? I did. I had that? a sister trio. Okay. So me and my sisters, we would, we did a lot of shows together. We did a lot of, um, 
international children's music from different countries, the Balkans, South Africa, Republic of Georgia, um, a lot of times in foreign languages. And we, we also all played string instruments. So we did a lot of shows at schools and libraries or for like kids music series where we would do these songs, have sort of sing-along elements, and then we would introduce kids to the differences between the stringed instruments. Because wow. I played cello and my sisters play violin and viola. Um, and so that was really, really And you a would lot of sing fun. too? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And was that something that you were like psyched at, about at that age too? Or yeah. like how, how old were you then? It started when I was probably 10, probably 10 to 13 we were okay. doing this. Um, my youngest sister was less involved at the beginning because she was four. And then she was six or seven when, when we sort of stopped doing so many shows together. Um, I, me and my middle sister, Makeda, like it was all sort of our idea. You know, we wanted to do shows for people. We were constantly performing for our parents <laughs> in the living room and stuff. Yeah. And then somebody mentioned like, oh, they should just come and do something at this library. So then from there, my mom was kind of like the point person that people would reach out to. We had like her AOL email address on the back of our CDs that we would like burn one at a time. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, but I always was like, I want to be doing music on the road. Yeah, and you did some plays too growing up? Were yeah. You, were you doing that too? Lots yeah. of musical theater with, sometimes my whole entire family would be in shows wow. together, which was super fun. Wow. Yeah. Um. And so, yeah, were were you you were homeschooled for a little bit too, or I was. Yeah. So after um, after first grade, I was homeschooled through eighth grade, okay. and that was actually that was for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons was that I like I loved reading, and I was always getting in like small scale trouble at school for. <laughs> like sneaking away and reading. And I was like, you know what? If I'm at home, then I'll be able to do whatever I want. Spoiler alert, that was not the case. I would like put novels inside my math books and my mom would be like, you need to stop. (laughs) But it did mean that we could make a lot of music together, um, you know, be involved in like these community theater productions and choir and like sing in the yard and like work on songs together. Um, it just meant that, like, we had a lot of time to do artistic things. Yeah, that that seems like uh, yeah, and um, yeah, all these things. Uh, I, I did my research on the on the homeschooling. You know, yeah. I found it on your Wikipedia page there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so after that, you end up going to performing arts high school, mm-hmm. right? And um, what did that what did that do for your for your creative self there? Yeah, that was actually. I've been thinking about that a lot recently because I feel like in the last few years, I've learned a lot of things um, about songwriting in particular that I kind of wish that I had known before. Um, The performing arts school I went to was a charter school, so it wasn't necessarily a magnet school. It was just sort of like an alternative option school for people. So some, a lot of people there, most of the people there were really passionate about the arts, but that wasn't necessarily the case with everybody. And So I felt like the school was a really good place if you came into the school with talent and skill. But if there were things you didn't know, those gaps didn't necessarily get filled. So like kids who didn't know how to read music wouldn't graduate knowing how to read music. They would get to play in ensembles that like played to their strengths, but they wouldn't leave with more kind of hard skills. Um, And same for me. Like I went in being good at singing, being a confident singer and I didn't necessarily learn a ton of vocal technique. And then I also I also expressed like wanting to be a singer, but worrying that I felt like I couldn't write songs. Like I felt like that was not part of who I was. And nobody ever was like, let me teach you how to write songs. People were just like, okay, you could be a backup singer for a famous person. Yeah, so for a long yeah. time, like when I left high school, I was like, yeah, that's going to be my goal is to like, sing backing vocals for, for some yeah for some like <laughs> nationally touring artist and that's going to be like and then wish that I could be the main person right. but like I know that could never be yeah so yeah <laughs> it was like really nurtured a lot of my musicality and gave me so many performance opportunities that I wouldn't have had at a traditional high school but yeah. I also find myself looking back being like wait a second I'm learning some basic things about songwriting now yeah like 15 years later. <laughs> yeah, so what what are those things that have been popping up for you in terms of songwriting? Like when did you feel like you 
when you were a songwriter with a capital S and all mm. that, you know? I mean, I still don't really feel like that. I think what changed for me is, so I went to college for English and I studied creative writing and I have been taking creative writing classes since I was in like fifth grade. So for creative writing, I just remembered, I had this sort of moment where I remembered being in fifth, sixth grade and trying to write a short story and struggling, being like, I don't have any ideas. And now, years later, after all this sort of formal training in writing, I feel like I have a writing craft. So I know what I need to do to get a draft out, regardless of whether I'm feeling inspired or yeah. not. And I don't feel precious about cutting 10 pages here and there. I'm not like crying about it. And so I just think as a songwriter, I'm just like a little bit behind where I am as a prose writer. Yeah. Like like a, a year ago, two years ago, if I showed you a new song and you were like, hey, maybe you should try switching this around, I would be like gutted. I'd Offended. be like, this yeah. is like, I, I was inspired. <laughs> I followed the inspiration. Like I, I did what the muses yeah, wanted. Yeah. Like it's perfect and every word <laughs> is chosen with care. And now I feel like I'm developing more of a songwriting craft where I know like whether I'm in the mood to write a song or not, whether I have like a hook in mind or not, I know what I can do to get a song out. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm really, yeah, exactly. I really believe in like quantity over quality because if you make one thing, there's a good chance it's going to be bad. But if you make a hundred things, like something in there has to be good. Yeah, and then it comes down to editing that, basically curating that. Yeah, I've heard... um, Quantity has a quality all Ooh. of its own. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Because it's true. It's just like if you do something every single day, you cannot end a week or even a month, you know, with nothing. Nothing. Yeah. yeah you you have to have something if you're doing it often enough. Yeah. And so, yeah, you were studying creative writing. And did you mm-hmm. study some jazz in, at school too? I did some jazz um, and a lot of opera. Okay. In college, yeah. And yeah, if I recall, I feel like I've heard stories of you saying you were singing like 10 hours a day in school. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Specifically in my senior year, I was like in a choir, I was in a musical. I was, and then the biggest thing I was preparing for my senior opera recital. So I was (laughs) like alone in a practice room for like half a day every day. Just singing your, Mm -hmm. your heart out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, as part of, I, I felt really lucky. Like I went to a school that's not, it's not really a music school. It's known right. for like engineering. Yeah. And what school? What's Swarthmore outside of Philly. Yeah. Um, and like the music department didn't really have a performance focus. And I ultimately, I wasn't a music major even. I spent most of my time in the music building, but I didn't major or minor in music. And after a lot of wrangling, I was like, let me have a senior recital. <laughs> you guys just let me do it. And they were finally like, okay. So I, I had a lot of rehearsing for the recital, but I also had an incredible vocal coach who I had never really heard of vocal coaching before college. It's more of a classical music world thing. And it's like someone who is an accompanist on piano, but also knows a lot about um, pronunciation in foreign languages Hmm. and a lot about kind of vocal pedagogy and technique. So I learned so much from her. Like my vocal coach is named Deborah, and I think of her every day. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And was at the time, because it seems like, you know, especially on the the new record and just in general, yes, singing is your one of your very strong suits, something that you have a lot of control over mm-hmm. your voice and stuff. Was that kind of where you were developing it there? Or had you felt like you had developed your voice prior to then? Hmm. I guess I th- I kind of think of it the way I think of songwriting and prose writing. I think in college is where I developed sort of a craft for singing. I hadn't actually taken any voice lessons till I went to college. Yeah. Um, And then once I got, and I had good control over my voice and things like that, but I didn't really have the tools to like troubleshoot or to, I wasn't, didn't have a lot of physical awareness of my voice to feel when I was getting fatigued or how to sort of navigate around like singing with a cold or singing with a sore throat or whatever. Um, And I felt like I got a lot of really strong technical tools from lessons that I didn't have before. Even though prior to school, like I did feel really connected to my voice. But if you were like, what's going on? How do you do that? Yeah. I'd be like, I don't know. I, I just do it. Yeah. <laughs> and what were you listening to at that time? Was it you were into the music that you were doing for school? Or were you also sort of 
finding your people that you like songwriters you look up to at that time and I think a combination. Um, I definitely had my like favorite songwriters playlist. That was a lot of Corinne Bailey Ray. Nice. <laughs> um, and then I was listening also to a lot of the music I was working on, a lot of classical. Um, but that's also, I did a little bit of jazz in college, but um, that is when I like really fell in love with the idea of singing jazz. Like I, I grew up loving jazz. I got like an Ella Fitzgerald compilation for Christmas, I think when <laughs> I was like six and I listened to it a trillion times. Yeah. Um, but I finally started improvising in college. I just, I'm very anxious about doing things that I don't, that I'm not good at. <laughs> so yeah. I like had not been an improviser vocally. And I got like obsessed with the idea of being like a really strong, like jazz improviser. Yeah. And I am not one of the best on earth, but I can hang. Like yeah. I can, I don't panic when someone's like, take a couple rounds of this song as a solo, like, and just sing something. I feel, I feel good about that. And it also learning about improvising vocally in conjunction with learning more vocal technique, just, I felt like I had been given such an incredible set of tools yeah. to just suddenly take like the skill I just was born with and turn it into something that I could like really, really control. Right. And that's what I really loved like when recording Quincy, my new album, because I was able to just do, I was finally able to just do what I wanted to do. I could imagine what I wanted it to sound like and then I could just make it sound yeah, that so way, like which felt you really had good. The- the toolbox kind of at mm-hmm. your disposal. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was like really exciting to to see all of those skills sort of come together. Yeah, and when you're improvising vocally, like that's full on. Just you're not singing words. You're just yeah. melodically doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really fun. Sometimes I just drive around. Like on my <laughs> way here, I was just driving around, being like, I wonder if I can. Like Scott over the changes for There Will Never Be Another You without listening to it. So I was just like in my little silent car, just like trying it out. And it was wow. fun. <laughs> All right. We need a we need a record of that. <laughs> um okay, so after after school you kind of start do you start playing out or like when does that kind of happen for you? Is it a, is a it a while. process of uh yeah, this thing you're talking about of, you know being nervous about doing something you're not mm-hmm. good at, was it kind of like you had to build up a bit of courage? Because, yeah. uh, well, I mean, I'm sure you were good at it, but you hadn't maybe performed as a solo performer. Yeah. Like in that yeah. sense, it was a new thing. Was that something that you kind of had to muster? I really some did. Stuff yeah, up for? I really yeah. did. So I wrote my first song. Well, first of all, I grew up playing piano, and people were like, piano is a great instrument for songwriting. And I didn't feel that. And I think looking back, it's because I I grew up playing classical piano. And so for me, playing piano and reading music are the same thing. I could not make stuff up on piano. And so I had this feeling, I was like, okay, I have to write songs. I just have to. If I want to sing songs, I have to make them up. And so I... I had this feeling that maybe I could do it on guitar, but I did not know how to play guitar. So I bought this $100 guitar and took it back to school my senior year. Um, and I had been on tour the previous semester with this um, world music ensemble called Northern Harmony. And I had learned like one chord a week from one of the guys that I was nice, touring nice. with. And so I was at school senior year and I wrote my first song on guitar and I recorded it on like a, an eight track app on my phone. And I came home and I was like, yes, I'm a, I am a musician. I wrote my one song. Yeah. And then it took... I graduated in May. I don't think I did my first show of my own music till September. Prior to that, I'd been trying to write one song a week. And that's most, like Breastfed, my first album yeah. is most mostly those songs from that one song a week thing. Yeah. Um, and I did my first show. It was in Northampton. I did not tell anybody that it was happening. I didn't let anyone I knew go to it. I wouldn't tell them where it was. It was very horrifying. I was very sweaty. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And then after that, just like breaking the seal sort of, like doing the first show, I was like... Was there something after, yeah, after the show that you kind of felt a... Yeah. Like you overcame some 
fears there or like, uh, yeah, what, what, what were you feeling after that? Yeah, I, I think I was just nervous specifically about playing guitar because yeah. at the time it was like actually like physically hard for me, yeah. you know, like pushing down the strings with yeah. my fingers was even hard and like setting up each new chord, like I couldn't do it fast enough and I was nervous about that. And I didn't have like the feel on guitar to be able to like make a mistake and then keep going. Recover, yeah. Like, and it was such a friendly audience. Like I did actually have to stop two times and be like, whoops, I have to figure out how to play the next chord. But I felt really a lot of confidence after that show because I felt sure that like I played guitar to like accompany myself. I'm not like a shredder. So I felt like, okay, this show is about my voice. Like my performance yeah. is about my singing yeah. and the guitar is secondary and nobody's going to be there like, wow, she's horrible at guitar. Right. So then I got like a little acoustic setup. Like I had a little Fishman amp and just started doing a million shows at breweries yeah. and stuff all over the place. Yeah. And um, yeah, so you were singing again many hours mm-hmm. a day and eventually that kind of, right, you you mm-hmm. had to get a vocal surgery. Yeah, so I had an injury. I was, I was piecing together tons of jobs at the time. Like I was bartending, teaching music yeah. at a school, teaching music at my house, playing shows. And, oh, I was also working for hospice doing music. So I was singing and talking a lot and even in bartending, like talking over so much noise. And I got a vocal injury and I did speech therapy for it for months and it helped, but didn't resolve the injury. So I had to have surgery and then couldn't speak for two weeks. And then getting back into it was really tough. Like I remember I had a three hour gig and I asked you to come to like step in in case because I didn't want to push it. Um, And it was really kind of hard regaining the strength because you actually get like muscular atrophy if you don't speak for a few weeks. Yeah. 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 And like by the time I had the surgery, I couldn't really speak for more than 20 minutes a day. It got really bad. Um, But then once I recovered and like did speech therapy and like built up my technique again, I was like, whoa, this you're, is my voice. Like yeah. I haven't had it for so long. It was yeah. Really so exciting. when you're, you can only talk 20 minutes a day, like, is it physically like hurts? Is that it what's was, going like, on? Hurting. Or is it hurting? Yeah. I just like, couldn't get my vocal cords to make contact. So I like, couldn't make like a sound. I would like try to speak on the phone and I'd be like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was, it was really tough. Just very like depressing yeah. and like miserable. Yeah. Um, but then I would say, honestly, like they say you're recovered by like four months. I didn't feel totally strong recovered till about a year after the surgery, which, you know, I felt fine about. I was like, because what the surgery made me realize and the injury made me realize is that my voice is so important to me. I think of it as equivalent to myself. Like if I don't have it, is it was just so devastating bet, to not yeah. be able to use my voice. And so like no no amount of effort is too much to like protect and care for my voice. That's like always my priority. And it was kind of nice to get that wake up call or confirmation that it's important to me. Um, but yeah, I'd say it was about a year till I felt really confident. And then over time, it's just actually gotten stronger and healthier. Um, and I really feel like some of my best singing is on the new album. Yeah. Like I just felt really like in good shape. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it seems like um, one of the highlights on the new album to me is the background vocals that you seem to have, yeah, thought out definitely all these parts mm-hmm. and then kind of layered, yeah, all these um, yeah. little sneaky like things going on. Yeah. Going on in the background. <laughs> yeah. I, that was part of my, effort to have a little bit more control over the process. Like I, I get to work with so many really wonderful people. Like everyone who I've collaborated with on my recordings is incredible, but I also want to become more self-sufficient in the long run and not necessarily have to rely on so many people just to put together a demo or something. And so the backing vocals, I had a little pro tool set up at home and just like I I can't even listen to those demos. They're like the worst thing ever, but I was able to like map out all of my elaborate backing vocals um, there. And yeah. that was exciting. I felt like super empowered because otherwise I would have gone to the studio and, you know, improvised something that would have been fine. Right. But not as detailed. Yeah. And then you also 
are doing it with somebody else mm-hmm. and you're worried you might be wasting their time mm-hmm. like working out this idea yeah, or something, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's like awkward when I'm like, oh, I want to figure this out. And it's like, well, someone else is sitting there who yeah. has good taste also yeah. <laughs> and like could give input, but I also kind of want to just feel this out on my own. Yeah. Like it's a tricky balance between like welcoming collaboration because people have different perspectives and then also being like, I have a vision and I just need time to like bring it to life. Yeah. And I just need you to sit there and yeah. like push record. <laughs> yeah, as Jack Black says in School of Rock, I got vision up the butt, just go with it. Um, yes. <laughs> so so taking it back to the first record, that was that was, yeah, mostly sort of an acoustic record that you mm-hmm. and Jacob Razaza worked on a lot there. You did some co-writing too. You guys wrote mm-hmm. one song together there? Or, uh, uh, yeah, we wrote How Am I Supposed to Know together. And yeah. and yeah, is that some is the co-writing thing something you like doing or oh, I wish. Yeah. I wish. I really do. Jacob, that we we wrote that song together right before we got married. He was like, I love writing songs. I love you. Let's write some songs together. Yeah. And I was like, cool, that's gonna he be so fun. He definitely seems to love writing songs. He could I think what the tricky part to me is I think we make music for kind of fundamentally different reasons. <laughs> like he is, I really think of him as like a true artist. He could write songs for the rest of his life and never show them to anyone on earth and be so happy. Yeah. And I think of myself more as a performer. Like I will be writing songs thinking about what it will be like to sing them on stage. And if I don't perform them, I'm like, why did I do that? Yeah, right, right. (laughs) So like he's a fast songwriter. He's a prolific songwriter. He loves to just like, he loves the adventure of sort of like, oh, I had this small little idea. Let's just follow this. Yeah. And I'm there being like, wait, no, the the big picture. Like, you're moving too fast. Yeah. I hope we can co-write again in the future. But right now, I just still feel like I'm such a slow songwriter that like it's really daunting. It makes me nervous right, <laughs> to right. write with someone who's in like really three fast. three hours or something. Yeah. yeah, we probably wrote How Am I Supposed to Know in like an hour and a half. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And at one point, actually, I got so stressed out. We both had our little lyric notebooks out. And I was, he's like, let's each write a verse and then like see what it's going to be. And I was like, oh my God, I can't like do that. Write this. a verse in 10 minutes. Yeah. Are you kidding me? So it usually takes I, like, me a month. Yeah, exactly. So I like looked at his notebook and like tried to read what he was writing upside down. And then I wrote a verse that was half the same as his. And then I was like, here's the verse. And he's like, oh my God, like I, I had that idea. too. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. Let's just go with yours. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I got so stressed out. But I hope we can co-write again in the future because yeah. he's a great writer and I love the yeah, songs definitely. that he makes. Um, yeah, that was one thing I wanted to ask you was like, you know, producing this record, playing in other people's, like singing in other people's projects and singing live for yourself Mm -hmm. and writing, like out of all of those, what is kind of, like, do you like being in a studio all day? Do you like being on stage Mm -hmm. or do you like being alone? Yeah. Or is it all kind of, yeah, is there... I love being on stage. I really do. Like everything to me is leading to being on stage. Like the recordings, the writing, all of it um, leads to like, that's the performance is always in my mind. I kind of do like being in a studio. I, I don't know. There's pluses and minuses to it. It really depends who I'm there with. It kind of depends whether we have a plan or not. And if I'm in the mood for that, like I hate being like, I have these three goals for today. And then we're like, you know what, let's just mess around with keyboards for like right, four and a half hours. Right. Sometimes I'm like, okay, cool. And other times I'm like, oh my God, like this is my life slipping away. Yeah. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think the more, um, I really do kind of prefer going in with a plan for myself, but I will also say people who have a more like, let's experiment and see what happens approach are kind of responsible for a lot of the great things on Quincy. Yeah. Like Jacob and then his brother Caleb, um, both were really open to kind of experimenting on the recordings or just hearing something and then like getting out a different guitar and like just trying something out while I'm like, what is going on? And because like Jacob, Caleb and I all have really, really different frames of reference. Like I grew up on such different music than they did. And, um, so they'd be like, oh, we're going to do it like this this recording. And I'm like, I've never heard of that before. I don't know what it is. And then, be, but because I trust their taste, I'm like, okay, let's just see what happens. Let's wait this out and see how it goes. And then 
they come up with something that I could not have thought of yeah. on my own. Um, so I want to, I want to enjoy the studio process more, but I'm like a little bit of a control freak in some ways, but I also like what kinda, happens sometimes when yeah, you relinquish the control. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think like overall I was trying for this album to just think, okay, I have this vision of what I want it to be like. And then basically yesing and knowing things based on that vision, as opposed to like, do I understand where this influence comes from would I have thought of this myself like that was kind of irrelevant it was like is this going to bring this song to a more like danceable place yes or no yeah so that that and that was kind of the vision was Mm -hmm. in getting into a more danceable zone okay yeah yeah yeah. yeah. and that made it really easy to like accept things that you know I wouldn't have thought of right right and yeah, those guys definitely have a frame of reference for that kind, making those kinds of recordings yeah. and stuff too. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah love. Uh, I love the whole sequence of the record. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it kind of just moves, moves right along. You know, easy, easy to listen to, and it starts off with a, with a. Uh, yeah, a bang with yeah. follow me there. Um, I also love that song, Crazy. Thank you. That's like, a, yeah, it just sounds like a classic song that's kind of just been around for a while. Oh, that's nice to hear. Yeah. That's nice to hear. That yeah. was one of my favorite ones to do the backing vocal parts for. Um, I was just, you know, me me at home with my little computer trying to make things up. It was really fun. Yeah. And how was it having your dad play on the record? I know Makeda, your sister, played some strings, she, no? She demoed out some strings okay. for me. Um, and we tried to have her do the final ones, but okay. it didn't work out. So Kiara Perico, who's out in LA, did the final strings. Okay. And I did. I played cello, okay. um, but she did violin and viola. Um, it was really nice having my dad play flute. He has, He played flute in college was really into jazz like was playing all around the house when I was growing up and he hadn't played in a while probably like 15 or 20 years and I was like hey can you come play these parts I think he was nervous yeah it went well and it was just nice to um you know be able to have someone who's been like watched me grow up and been with me throughout the whole process play on the album yeah it was cool yeah was he comfortable in the studio? No. Like, had he ever done that? Yeah. <laughs> he was really nervous. He was like, can I go? Like as soon as we yeah, were done. And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, sure. He's like, okay, I've been up like since 4 a.m. nervous about yeah, this. And I was yeah. like, oh, okay. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, so how about uh, the mixing process? That Was that something that... Is that fun? Is that is that just... Yeah, how did how I, that... Hmm. I kind of liked it, actually. I was surprised. Yeah. <laughs> I think for me, I think it has to do a lot. Like I did my mixing with Danny Bernini. He mixed my, he's mixed pretty much all of the recordings that I've put out so yeah. far, like my first album and my holiday EP and stuff. Um, and I he's think a at ment- this point. A mentor kind of to yeah, all of us in a way. Yeah, yeah he yeah. really is. Um, and what I, so I would say when I'm recording, I don't have necessarily like mix ideas in mind. But I, you know, I do have opinions like while it's happening. And I think that he has a really good understanding of what I'm going for, which is really great. And I also just appreciate that he is able to explain what's going on to me in a way that I could totally understand, which is really nice because yeah. I always learn a lot. Yeah. And does. then it gives me more language for, you know, the next project. Because like <laughs> this last time, uh, when we were mixing, I don't remember what song it was, but there it was a, one of the ones with flute. And I was like, Danny, at the end of that line, can you like make the flute like zhuzh off into the mist a little bit more? And he was like, hell yeah. Like, <laughs> I know exactly what yeah. you mean. And then afterwards I was like, so how would I say that in like normal terms? Technical terms, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's really great learning from him. And so the more I know, the more I enjoy it because I can be more engaged, you know? Yeah. First album, I was sort of just sitting there being like, hmm, this sounds mm. cool, but what's happening? Yeah, but eight hours have gone by and yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's silly to be like, knowledge is power, but it's also like, you know, Nobody, as like an independent musician, nobody's sitting there in their house being like, wow, can't wait for Kimaya to put out more music. Like nobody's asked me to do any of this. Right. And so 
Like the more that I can be in control of it and just share my perspective with the world, I think the better because yeah. nobody's trying to like, I'm not trying to make top 40 songs that need to like conform to a mold that already exists. I'm just right. trying to make songs that express who I am and I can express that more accurately with more tools and more knowledge. Yeah. And so it just is exciting to know more every time I record. Yeah, yeah it does seem like you've done or being a consumer of this record basically. And as far as I know, you kind of put the whole thing together mm-hmm. mostly yourself yes. in terms of the promotion and the booking and all yeah. that stuff. Um, yeah. It seems like you've rolled it out really nice. And yeah, is there something that you wish you could have, have somebody take the load off, mm-hmm. like, you know, on some front or. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, it was I definitely enjoyed putting it out on my own just because my commitment to myself was like I'm going to try as hard as I can to do. I'm going to do my very best at every aspect of yeah. this whether or not I actually have the skills. Yeah. So I did like a lot of graphic design which maybe I shouldn't have done and a lot of like social media stuff. But I would say for me the one thing that I'm really eager to get a hand with is like is booking and I just a friend a local friend is about to start helping me out with some booking stuff. Nice. Um which is really great. I just hate sending a million emails. (laughs) The thing that I'm struggling with right now is like, I really do think I, I released this album as well as I could have with the skills that I have. And I want to do better for the next one, but I also feel like I've reached the limit of what I know how to do as far as promo or playlisting or, you know, getting in like PR. That was like a huge thing to do on my own, just reaching like cold calling basically writers and stuff like that. And I would love to have someone who can just help me envision like a little bit more of a strategy. Like I'm like, what could I do better? Because every time I put out music, I learn about things that I could have done better that it's, it's too late now to do. Yeah. But you have the knowledge. Yeah, for the next I have the knowledge for the next what, time. Yeah. yeah, and I kind of hope that I would love to have somebody who could just like help me envision a strategy yeah. so that I make sure that the next release just is better. Yeah, imagine than the that previous a strategy one. for right. <laughs> wow. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds that sounds nice. Yeah. Um, well, it definitely seems like you you had some strategy, you know, and uh, yeah, it came across. It came across. Thank you. Yeah. That was a lot of Google calendars and a lot of Canva (laughs) and a lot of emails. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so songwriting for this record, Mm -hmm. what was that like? Is it evident to you when you're just done with a song and you're like, okay, that's ready to record? Or is it you're tinkering like until you get in to the studio Mm. to record? Or yeah, what's I would say for the most part, um, when I'm writing, I'll I'll I generally write like lots and lots and lots of extra verses. And the first time when I choose lyrics, I'm choosing what physically feels good in my mouth to say and sing, um, or what vowels are easier to do. And then I like to perform it like. 10 or 15 times because I'll often swap out verses live and just see how it goes. And I'll start thinking about sort of how I introduce the song on stage. And while I'm singing it, if it makes me realize like, oh, this isn't about this, it's about that. Um, I'll have these sort of realizations or after a show, somebody will be like, wow, that really made me think of this experience. And I'll be like, whoa, (laughs) you're right. That's what this song is about. Um, And so I like to have like allow the song to be Malleable. Fluid, yeah, yeah, for a while. Yeah. And then usually that's when I, performing it live is when we sort of work out the arrangement with the band. Mm-hmm. And then after a few performances, I would say then it could be recorded. Yeah. Yeah. It just uh, dawned on me, yeah, with the extra verses thing. It's kind of like, you know, if somebody's coming over, if people are coming over your house, you want to have enough food, you know, you mm-hmm. want to have extra. You yeah. know, you want to have extra, <laughs> extra verses, yeah, uh, exactly. you know, sitting around in case you. In case you need them. Yeah, and yeah. it means that like in years from now, I can put out all my songs like ten minute version. Yeah, right. <laughs> like right. Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure you own your masters. Yeah, hopefully. I do. Yeah, I do. Okay. Good. Good. Um, well, yeah. So, uh, what else do you have coming up? I know one, one of the things I wanted to ask you about actually was that Cancer Connection mm-hmm. song that you that that you put out. Yeah. Um, for the, the local. 
um, is it a nonprofit? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah nonprofit. it is. Yeah, that was actually such a really wonderful experience. Um, Danny, who's done a lot of my mixing and mastering, and then his partner, Paul, they um, have this small label called A-Side, B-Side Records, and the concept is basically they produce a song for free and the proceeds go to a charity. So I chose to have my song benefit the Cancer Connection, which does support groups and services for people with cancer and their family members. Um, they provided a lot of services to my mom before she passed away. And I just think what they do, it's all the services are free for people to access. And so, you know, they need a lot of funding. Um, and it was a really cool opportunity. Like making music is so expensive. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not somebody, I'm not one of those people that can play like all the instruments myself. So I always am paying a bunch of people and, you know, my friends, I'm not paying them a lot of money, right. but it's still like a up. lot of yeah, money. Yeah. Um, and so it it was really cool to be able to just say like, okay, you guys, like do what you want to do with this because you're the ones that are paying for yeah, it. Yeah. Um, and it was cool to have that more collaborative experience instead of me coming in being like, here's the vision for the song. Yeah. Like let's all align and like get it there. So there were some surprises with that song. Um but it was a really kind of awesome experience. And it was my first time working with Danny and Paul, just me. I've previously worked with them when working on other people's projects. Yeah. Um, and it was super, it was really a great experience. And then we were able to raise, I think, almost $3,000 for wow. Cancer Connection, yeah. which felt really good, felt like the least I could do to give back to them. Yeah. Um, and then also just kind of raise more awareness about them. Um, so that was a that was a fun song to put out. It was also, it came out between Breastfed and Quincy. And so it was the first song out that had a full band sound before kind putting out my new album. Tone a little bit there, yeah, yeah, it was like yeah. a bridge. Cause like at the time I was getting booked a lot for these like folky yeah. gigs. And I'd be like, oh, like, do you know I play with a full band now? And they'd be like, no, how am I supposed to know that? Yeah. And I'd be like, mm. Good point. Right, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now I think my music is a lot more representative of what my shows are like, and yeah. that song, They Can Say What They Like, um, yeah. was like a great bridge from yeah. the singer-songwriter to the full band sound. Yeah, it's been really cool seeing you play with the full band, too, as um, with two background vocalists in addition to so you, good. you know? Yeah. yeah. Our biggest compliment ever, we played a show and we were opening for somebody um, for for trombone shorty, and he like came over after the show, and he he was like, "What were you doing for backing vocals?" Because he had heard our set, and he could see only the right side of the stage from right. his green room. And I was like, "What do you mean?" And he's like, "Is that some sort of Pro Tools setup?" And I was like, oh, no, "No, it's real people who are here." But it was really cool to be like, "Oh, you thought it was like tracks? Yeah, they yeah. are rock solid." And those are folks. Most of my band I met in high school, including my singers. Um, and so, you know, I've been making music with them for most of my life yeah. now, and they have all shaped who I am as a musician. And I think maybe vice versa. And so it's just really exciting to be able to bring these songs to people with this kind of big history right. behind them. Yeah, and they really know where you're coming from yeah. musically and everything. Yeah. yeah, it's really awesome. Um, and so, yeah, coming up, you've got another trombone shorty opening mm -hmm. slot, right? Yeah, that's in February in okay. Burlington. Nice. I'm excited. And what, what else is coming up? What are I you have doing? my holiday show, yeah. the third annual Kimaya Digs and Friends holiday show, which is a jazz show. That's where I get to, like, really dig into my love of jazz and just have a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I hope this comes trio. out before then. <laughs> yes, if it doesn't, then, you know, put the fourth annual Kimaya Dixon right, right, Friends yeah, show yeah, in your calendar. Yeah. Um, and then hopefully in mid-February, I'm going to put out a new a single. Um, I think I have written my best song ever. Whoa. So far. Was that one that you played at that trombone shorty yeah, show? Yeah, okay, yeah. That was a yeah, good one. Thank good you. One. Everything, it's called Everything Is Not Lost, even though somebody who was at that show came to me and he's like, I love the song that's like, everything is my fault. And I was like, mm, that's not it, no, but that's real, that's no. a good idea for a song. Yeah, um, it is, yeah. <laughs> but I'm excited to record it. This song I wrote not only thinking of the full band, but thinking specifically of the individual people in the band. Like I wrote this song because... One of my singers can sing really low. The other one can sing really high. And I was like, I bet you 
we could sing this chorus in three octaves at the same time. Whoa. And that was like my goal. Wow. Like I, I had this, I came up with this little hook and I was like, I bet we could, I bet we could pull this off. Like the, like me, Maisie and Naomi, I bet we can do this. And then the whole rest of writing the song was like, how can I make the song kind of build up to this moment where we all sing the chorus in three octaves at one time. <laughs> and it was really, I think that's what makes the song good, honestly, yeah. is that like it was written for the people who play it. Yeah. Yeah. And bring more people um, in on a song can kind of uh, elevate it, right? And show what you have where it's kind of hard to know when you're just alone in yeah, a room. Yeah, it's know? true. The voice memo that I sent to everybody, the original voice memo of the song, I recorded while profoundly congested, and so it's very disgusting sounding. And one day I will release it on the internet for a high price, like 40 bucks right, on my right. Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> And um, yeah, that, I, I would say that's a good deal for the for the folks it's at more home. Than you know? yeah, more than yeah, fair, more than fair. I think they're getting <laughs> getting a great deal there. And so yeah, um, that's your band that's been helping you out, and you've had a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'll say like without formal PR or management or label or anything behind me, like releasing it independently wasn't releasing it alone. I just started making this list of all the folks who have helped me make the release a success this year, and it's like seventy five people. It's so many. It's musicians. It's other artist managers, other agents. Um, venue promoters, um, journalists, photographers, friends, artists who have all supported me along this way. Like they've taken a chance on me, booking me in a room on a certain night, or they have given me advice, or they've published something about me. Um, And it's just really amazing to see all of these people who have been there for me, even though I don't have sort of like a formal outfit around me who's helping promote the music. It just feels, I try to compare myself just to myself, even though it's really easy on the internet to compare yourself to other people. Um, And, you know, a lot of times people who are doing super well, like the secret is just that like their parents have tons of money. Like, (laughs) but trying to just compare myself to myself year over year, um, it's amazing to see like not only have I done better with this release, but also like the relationships that I have built and invested in over time are paying off. And like yeah. people took the time and energy to um to help share my music with the world, yeah. which means so much. And you much. could always try too to get your parents to get more money. That could that's be a true. path. That's so you know? true. That's so true. I'm always like texting my dad, being like, Hey, I know some people have trust funds. I'm wondering if you could just get me one super quick. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's awesome. It seems like a lot of people came to rally around you, you know, in this yeah. record because, uh, you know, it's evident that you're passionate about what you're doing. You thank know? you. Yeah, I feel really lucky. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Kimaya. We'll wrap this up, but I appreciate you coming over and coming on the pod here. Thanks for having me. I love this. Me too. Me too. Thank you. Thanks. See ya. And blessings to all. To all. all a good I got the triple. I got a, I ain't got no triple. I got AAR. <laughs>